You're listening to Parenting in the First Three Years, the place where we explore the strategies and soul of parenting from pregnancy through the first three years of life. I'm your host, Ann McKittrick. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello and welcome. In today's episode, we're talking about attachment that happens between parents and their new babies. This is something I've been learning about ever since I did my thesis on this topic in graduate school so many years ago, and research has uncovered so much about attachment since then. Here to explore this topic with me today is my guest, Annie Brooke, a therapist and educator from Boulder, Colorado. Annie works with parents, children, and families. She understands early precognitive memory, like birth and attachment trauma, and how to help it heal. Her methods include body awareness, emotions, thoughts, and behaviors to create lasting change with behavior difficulties. She helps new mamas and newborns recover from birth trauma and trains therapists to do the same. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to resources that Annie wants to share with you. So here we go. Let's dive in. Alrighty. Well, hello, Annie Brooke. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. We, you know, we are going to talk all about attachment. And I know that parents of infants and toddlers, they hear this word and they know that they're supposed to attach to their child. I just want to kind of go into what does that look like and how do you, how can you tell if you're child is attached to you and if you're feeling this attachment to your child. I know that you work with a lot of parents and babies. Why don't you talk a little bit about what what that looks like? Yeah, I'm so glad that you're addressing this because I think parents get overwhelmed with trying to be the perfect parent and then they get worried they're not doing it right, but they don't even know what that is. And the main thing, you know, is learning to understand your baby's language And to be able to understand that their language is movement and touch and perception. And, you know, we're already up in our cognitive brains and we're thinking and talking and sharing ideas. Often I suggest to new parents, get down on the floor with your baby. Get down at their level, horizontal, lie on your side, put pillows if you need it, lie on your tummy and have your baby on the floor. Or if you're on the floor, put the baby on your chest. What babies want, when you think about, they have come from nine months of movement in a spatial ability to change direction, to push, to reach, to pull. Babies play with the umbilical cord with their hands. And they've been very um, engaged and responsive in utero. All of a sudden, when they're born, There's the weight of gravity, and they can't even lift their head yet. And so the baby is going through a very big physiological development, learning to adjust to gravity and weight. And so parents who understand that that's a a primary need of their baby is to get strong enough to lift their head, and that's the first You know, in the first five months, that is the main task that baby is doing. And my little book, The Developing Infant, I talk about all the stages of development, all the way up into walking. And parents who understand this have a much better time. So when your baby is, you're down on the floor with your baby, you could put your hands on them and help them roll. You could 
give them a little compressive touch so they know where they are. You could actually play with their reflexes because the baby will attach to you by knowing where you are. And that kind of attachment also helps a baby settle into their body. And what we like to find is what we call secure attachment. That's where the baby knows that you're there. You're going to keep them safe, that if they call out, you'll pay attention but you won't be in their face so much that they can't relax back into their own body. We have very highly motivated parents sometimes who want their babies to be really smart. And those parents can sometimes be a little invasive. And the baby learns then to be anxiously attached because what that means is the baby's attention is always outside tracking the mother or tracking the father instead of that nice reciprocity of outer attention, inner attention. And you allow that pacing of outer attention. And then you notice, oh, the baby's having some inward digestion of their experience. Mm -hmm. And so one of the biggest things I encourage new mamas is you don't have to work so hard. Yeah. One thing I noticed is, for one thing, you know, a baby's gaze is so much a part of their intake of the world. And I will often catch the eye of a baby wherever I am, you know, at the Mm -hmm. grocery store or wherever. And one thing I notice, and and I bet this has to do with what you were just saying, is that you you can catch their eye and they'll gaze at you for a moment. But there's a certain amount of time that they can handle that. And then they need to turn their head or you need to follow their little face and turn your head and break that gaze because it becomes too intense. That's I'm so glad you're naming that because in our perceptions and you think of sound, smell, tactile, touch, um, pressure, the compression and even spatial awareness that all of these perceptions are very open in the baby. They don't have context. And so their perceptions are going to respond. And if we, with our adult, you know, our energy is bigger than a baby. We're not louder because they've got their endocrine cry still going. But we can be too intense and how to soften. Now, there's since we're talking about intensity, one thing often happens is people talk to babies with this real sweet, soft baby language. There's a place for that, but there's also a place for, hey, what's up today? A little more potency. Mm -hmm. So if everything's so soft, sometimes you're not meeting a baby when they're potent. So sometimes if the baby's crying and the mom's going, trying to soothe, what I say is, Get a little bit bigger so the baby can find you. Get a little bigger with your voice. Use compressive touch. Uh, don't use touch that's that's uh, so soothing. It's actually uh, tickling or uh, hypersensitive on the skin. So do a little squeeze, like squeeze a baby's leg or their arm or squeeze across their shoulders or squeeze across their hips a bit. And this is what this does is it loads in what we call proprioception. 
And that's the ability to feel weight and pressure to almost know where you are in time and space. Mm -hmm. So we want to, like you said, manage our intensity, not lock a baby's gaze so they can't get away. (laughs) Even though we love all that adorable energy, we have to give them a chance to digest. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an interesting thing because the gaze is a very important part of the connection. Um, but I I wonder, like, if you see a parent and child, how can you tell if there's a healthy attachment between the two of them? What are some things that you look for? I look for if the mama is comfortable, if the mama is not hyper vigilant toward the baby. If the baby can relax and settle into the mama's body, and sometimes a birth trauma will interrupt that. I once worked with a six-week-old who was born uh, C-section, and the dad actually contacted me. He had been in one of my university classes, and he said, you know, I watch, I watch my wife, and I watch my little baby, and my baby is kind of avoiding my wife. And what is going on there? And so I said, well, let's find out. And so they came in for a session and I, we were all sitting together on the floor with some pillows and the, the baby, even with its gaze, would look away from the mother. And you could see the sadness in the mom. She could tell the baby's actually not bonding with me. Well, it turns out the baby was mad because of the C-section. Now, people think, oh, babies don't feel anything. Well, they do, but they don't have a context for it. So just like an adult trauma or a child trauma, a baby's nervous system can go through a trauma experience. The good news is you can help them get out of it. And partly the way you do that is you tell the story with a very slow pace and with the sense that the baby understands and the sense that the mother may need to process some emotions. Because often what occurs during a birth, the mother has no time to process it because as soon as the baby's born, that's where all her attention goes, as it should. But getting support to go back and, oh, go go through that experience again Maybe a mama is sad because she had a C-section. Maybe she's relieved, you know, because we want a live baby. But we have to imagine from the infant perspective that babies don't like C-sections. They like getting out if they're going to die. But, you know, they don't know that. What they know is somebody's pulling me out of my mama. I'm going from a watery world right into the air. In two or three minutes, I didn't get the nice squish and movement down the birth canal that helps my body know where I am. So I've got sensory overwhelm. And so with this little six-week-old, we talked about the C-section. And of course, when you're supporting, if you're a therapist, I love training therapists. So be sure and check out my website. Because you can be so helpful to so many people when you actually understand how does an infant perceive? 
And then you can really help parents and families and children go back and heal a disruptive attachment that was based on a moment in time. You know, a, a difficult birth is a moment in time relative to a, a child's life, mm-hmm. but it's such an impactful moment in time because infants don't have context. They don't know they survived the birth. There's something we call dissociation, which means when the body gets overwhelmed, meaning too much sensory stimulation. So think about a C-section. You've got that stimulation going from water to air without the, the proprioception to get there. And then you've got in a C-section very bright lights. You've got someone with you know goggles on and a head head thing and gloves. So the baby's first touch can be through those glovey things, those physician gloves. And then you've got this the umbilical cord being cut right away. And often the mom is being stitched back up. So the baby doesn't rest on the mama's chest. One of my favorite videos I got to see of a Duke physician, an obstetrician, and she talked to the baby before the C-section. She said, hello in there. Guess what? We're going to have to bring you out a different way. And I need your help. So she's talking to the baby like they're a sentient being. You know, they can understand. So she describes what's going to happen. And she says, you know, I'm going to have to cut your mommy and pull the skin apart to find you. And then you're going to feel my hands with their gloves on trying to find your head. So you have to help me because I need to get you out quickly and then we'll bring you back to your mama. So that little, you know, one minute conversation made all the difference to the mother relaxing, which makes a difference to the baby and to the baby, you know, that attunement of sentient being like hello and that was so beautiful so back to the story of this little six-week-old we're all sitting there mom and dad and little one and i'm asking the mom and she's you know regretfully had a c-section i said well um i think you're you know did you go away when you heard you had a c-section and she goes yes i did go away i kind of lost my determination and i kind of gave up and and the baby got really mad when she said that the baby started fussing and getting really mad and i said i think your baby's mad at you about that and she said oh and i said and i just coached her because because adults don't know that they can actually talk to the baby in that way And I said, okay, um, why don't you just tell your baby you went away and you're sorry and you're not going away again. And when the mother did that, she she really got it. She stood behind it. She, okay, then uh, she told the baby and the baby, the anger went away. And then the baby got sad. And the mom could realize, oh, I was so sad too. And so they could share that sad understanding and then the baby got terrified 
And all of this was in the space of 20 minutes. You know, one emotion, they processed that and understood and reconnected. Another emotion, they both had their experience of that. And then the fear. And we could say, of course you were scared. You didn't know where your mom was. All these people you didn't know were taking you away from her. And as we could tell the story and reflect it, and the mother could feel her fear and express it, the, the whole thing settled, and that baby just rested into the mama's chest. It was just beautiful. And usually this is what I see with the four-year-olds, the six-year-olds I treat, that th if there's something in the early story that was confusing, that created stress in the body, created separation, like jaundice lights, NICU unit experience, uh, forceps, vacuum suction, all these things register in the baby and the baby carries it forward without a context. So you, the adult, can give the baby the context and that can clear up a lot of attachment dynamics. So if a person is listening and they have experienced something that you have brought up, something that they think, hmm, I wonder what that if that's going on with me and my kid, what would be your recommendation that they just pull the child in and just kind of talk through the story? And I would depend on the age of the kid. Um, if it's if it's a child, you know, around four or older, I would use stuffed animals. Mm. I would show the story like a little play and go slowly and ask the child, what do you think the baby felt? And you'll be surprised what those kids say. They'll go, oh, that baby is mad. That baby doesn't like that doctor, you know? And so you're allowing the story to be told. Or you could, sometimes a kid will say, oh, I flew away, which is what dissociation is. And I, and often with older kids, I'll say, well, where are you? And they say, oh, I'm up on the ceiling watching this. They know. I worked with a 10-year-old in a warm pool who couldn't put on sunscreen. And in Colorado, his mother was like really perturbed. And so we did a warm water session and I'm floating him on his back. And it, it didn't feel like he was in his body, even though I'm moving his body through the water. I'm, so I asked him, where are you? I said, are you here? Where are you? He says, oh, I'm up on the ceiling watching you. I said, okay, we're going to play a game. You tell me when you think you're in your body. And it was so interesting. He actually explored, came down off the ceiling in his psyche, and paid attention to his sensation. And after that one session, I never saw him again, but his mom emailed me and she says, he's fine now. He puts on sunscreen. He can tolerate touch. You know, he's here. Mm -hmm. And so I share that not to seem woo-woo or weird out there, you know, but that we're sensory beings. And when parents can understand that the baby's language has a lot to do with touch, sound, pressure, comfort, and safety. Because what helps bonding is when a child feels safe, and comfortable. And sometimes there's videos even of when they have to use anesthesia at a birth that the baby, the mother recovers, she's ready to 
hold the baby and have the baby nurse and the baby is barely coming out of anesthesia. Its head is bobbing. It can't really crawl up to the breast. It can't latch on because it's still drugged. And this one video, the disappointment of the mother was part of that early attachment. You know, her baby wasn't connecting with her. So when these stories can be told and put to rest and given context, often the heart gets some relief. The emotions get some relief. And so I encourage parents to not go into shame or guilt or regret, but to actually process that birth story. And I have a little gift for your listeners it's an audio file, which you have a link for that they can just, you know, click on. And that's to help them understand that there's often a hidden story behind difficult behavior. And so if a mother is sensing her child is not crawling correctly, like maybe they're scooting or twisting, they could need a little hands-on session to work out a torque that happened during the birth that didn't get resolved. Mm-hmm. Or they could need a little um, session to help. Like if they're a fussy baby, sometimes they have a little pinch in their digestive system. And they get a little hands-on work from a, a trained, you know, manual therapist who knows this stuff. And it brings relief. And then those all that fussing and the crying goes away. Because it is so, so hard for parents if the baby will not settle. So what I hear you say is that kind of the overall um, thought is that taking, looking at the child's perception of what has happened from their birth through, you know, the everyday, just taking their perspective and looking at it and then talking it through with them with touch and, and storytelling and even pretending if they're old enough am I catching yeah it? you are and and I want to qualify talking it through because um talking in a way that's very slow different than if you were talking to an adult and I'm going to circle back around to one through three magic because I think it's so so important um but sometimes a, a parent will um talk it through in an adult kind of conversation or in a two baby kind. Mm -hmm. la, 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 la. And you just want to be real. You just want to be real in your language. Mm -hmm. You know, not afraid to be you, but slow it down six to 10 times slower pace so that you're allowing time for the perceptions, for your kid to understand what you said for your kid to get their attention, for you to notice what they're doing with their attention. Like you might start talking about the birth and they want to run out of the room. And you go, oh, this is a scary story, isn't it? You want to run away. I don't blame you. I was scared too. And then they might peek, you know, peek in and you have your stuffed animals. You're going, oh, how were you born? What happened at your birth? And you just, you know, you're playing and then the child comes over because they like to play and you're making it just you're just getting it told. And I can tell you from treating hundreds of kids that 
often once they tell their birth story, they go home and they want to play it out over and over again for a while. <laughs> get their stuffed animals and they're doing the thing there. Mm -hmm. I have seen lots of kids act out their a birth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they just want to integrate it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then it's no longer a trauma experience. Yeah. But but go ahead. Oh, I just was going to say your your re reference to one, two, three, one, two, three magic is um, a, a book that you like to recommend. And, and Thomas Phelan, one of the main premises that he begins with is they're not little adults, they're children. You have to, you know, talk to them as if they are children, not babies, if they're not babies, but children. And so mm -hmm. you can't expect them to respond and speak to you as if and understand as if they are adults. It's one of my favorite books. I, I love that you like that book, too. Yeah. And I have a little Cliff Notes download on my free PDF library, 123 Magic, because by and far, it is the way I've seen parents regain their sanity. Mm -hmm. Yes. Especially if you have more than one child, even if you have just one child. What will happen is the adult will try to process and rationalize and a child can hook hook you emotionally by ignoring what you want him to do and engaging you in dialogue. So say you say time for bed and then the child goes off on this whole little tangent and you're realizing here I am trying to persuade them it's time for bed but they've got they've, they've just eaten up another 15 minutes. Right. <laughs> right. And and this happens time to go to school, you know, oh, all of a sudden they've eaten up another 20 minutes mm -hmm. and this ex exhausts the parent. And so that ability to not go into to explanations or parents will even start bribing their kids. That's the worst. Right. But just being able to, to help a child understand that there are limits there are directions and there are consequences mm -hmm. so of course you pick a, a age specific consequence something functional for a three-year-old a five-year-old a seven-year-old and you have to follow through and what dr philan says is it takes about six weeks to implement this the stop behaviors that means to interrupt all those ways that your child has learned to not actually follow the directions mm -hmm. and that you've played this game of being manipulated, being pulled off track and getting irritated as a parent because you're getting exhausted. You need your sleep too. Right. You need your downtime. You need your time with your spouse. <clears throat> and so Dr. Philan says, you know, be ready for a little rocky road that first six weeks, but be consistent in your limit setting. Mm -hmm. And you just do it gently. It's with a, you do a count, a one. That's a one, Billy. I, it was time for bed. You know how to go to bed. That's a one. Or Billy, it's time to go brush your teeth. You know that. And Billy goes running off and grabs some toys. And you go, oh, that's a two. Now Billy knows, oh. You know that he's he knows that, you know, right. <laughs> you both know that, oops, he's not really doing what the direction is. And then if he gets to a three, he already knows that there's consequences. And you figured that out in advance. And for 
you know, I like Dr. Philan's way that he uses a little timer sometimes and he makes it appropriate for the age of the child. Mm -hmm. So many people are afraid to set limits of any kind. They think they're being a mean parent. And I can tell you, it takes a little work to get the parent on board, but their life changes. The mothers come back and they go, oh my God, I'm so much more rested. I'm so much less stressed. I'm not blowing up at my kid anymore. Mm-hmm. That is why you do these kind of things. Right. Because you make a better home environment. Right. And parents need those supports. Yeah, we need the supports. And also it does nothing but um, uh, support the attachment and belonging and trust between you and your child when you work these things out as you go along, as they are getting older and so smart that they figure out how to negotiate and manipulate and work systems. <laughs> you know, it's it's just a, it's a beautiful thing, that little brain. They figure out how to get what they want and and then parents have to yeah. it along the way too. So and do it, you go ahead? Oh, it, and it seems like it's their job in a way to test your ability as a parent. For sure. Yeah. You know, test that you can stay emotionally regulated. You can stay safe. You're not going to blow up at them, scream at them. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to bribe them. You know, you're going to figure out how to stay the adult. I learned this when I really first started working with foster children who were sexually abused. Because I thought they'd have such a hard time. This was an after-school program. And I thought, I'm just going to sing songs with them and have fun with them. And, you know, and they started, they walked all over me, basically. They kicked me. They spit at me. They, And I realized, oh. And then, then I got mad, mad enough to say, hey, you don't get to kick me. And then they could feel me. All of a sudden, they knew I was there. And I realized underneath all that, that's why they felt safe. And then we started having real relationships. Mm -hmm. When I was trying to be nice and trying to be, you know, and and not authentic also to myself, they just, you know, they were testing me to see if I would actually show up and be able to hold them rather than let them dysregulate all over the place Mm -hmm. so it was a fascinating lesson a hard one yeah yeah it's one that repeats itself over and over too right as Mm -hmm. as kids um, grow so as we wrap this up this has been really insightful all the way from babies all the way up to older kids and and how to connect with them what do you have any words of encouragement for those that are listening I would say First off, gratitude to you. It is such a, a important role to be a parent and to be a parent who actually wants to figure this out and will learn and know that you're going to learn and grow and make mistakes and your child can be resilient as long as you learn and grow as a parent and you understand the, the importance of play. Mm-hmm. Some parents actually don't know how to play and they miss out on that creative aspect that their child can bring back into their life. Mm-hmm. And so I have a little book called Awakening the Creative Mind, which has games, play games to help parents learn how to improvise. 
Because sometimes you have to improvise in the moment and redirect a child's attention. Yeah. You redirect it and, the, you know, you're still moving them in the direction of your guidance. Mm-hmm. But you're not being having to be punitive. Right. And that play can really break the tension at, at certain moments, too. It's, it's a really yeah, great Yeah, it's a tool. wonderful skill. So thank you. Sure. I'm going to put links to all of your things in these show notes and um, folks can find you. I'll put all the links on your website and and, uh, social media as well. Thank you so much, Annie, for joining me today. It's really been been a pleasure. Thanks for all that you do. Sure. If you love today's episode, please share it with a friend. The first years can be overwhelming for any parent, whether your baby's a newborn are out there walking and talking and taking on the world by force. So share away. All you have to do is head to the platform where you're listening, click on the share button or the icon and share it to a friend. I so appreciate you taking the time to do so and it really helps me support other parents on their journey. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now.